Hello, and welcome to Digital Marketing Musings, hosted by Merkel. Each episode, we choose an expert to discuss the latest and greatest in digital marketing trends. Today, we're interviewing Megan Cameron and Jeff Stevaldson about retail media networks. All right, let's get to it. I'm Gaia Reed. And I'm Andrew McCartney. And this is Digital Marketing Musings. Welcome back to Digital Marketing Musings Season 2. Today, we're joined by Megan and Jeff to talk about retail media networks. Jeff Sievoldson is a director of account management out of Merkel's New Stream Media Group. And Megan Cameron leads the media and monetization groups of Merkel's New Stream Media offering. And she was recently named in Ad Age's 40 Under 40 list for 2022. So pay attention to her answers. She is definitely serving us some content gold today. So welcome to our show, you guys. Hey, thanks for having us. We are super excited for this episode. Um, A few episodes ago, we really focused on the CPG vertical, speaking with Leah Key and Mika Takahashi about how they work on, you know, the buy side of retail media networks. So buying ad placements for their clients in retail media networks. And then today we're speaking with members of the Merkel's Newstream media team who are actually working on the selling side to stand up a a retailer sales and ad solutioning organization. So with that prequel, we wanted to really kick off this conversation just by having y'all explain what are retail media networks to the, to the lay person and and generally how do they work? Yeah. um, That's great. I'll, I'll kick us off. So traditionally what I'd say a retail media network is and how we've historically defined it, is really this connection between a brand and a retailer shopper, enabling that through digital touch points on a retailer's website, on their apps, and on other owned or external media that is really focused on driving shoppers and sales in-store and online. So when this holistic marketplace really kicked off. What we were seeing in our research is that most retailers were looking at their retail media network as something around $25 million annually. And they were coming to New Street Media in an effort to grow their business um, into becoming $100 million media networks. At that time, the landscape was really made up of a few big players, all of whom are still in the marketplace, um, really led at that time, and I'd argue still today, by Amazon advertising. Um, but Target's Roundel was in the mix, Walmart, um, Walmart Connect, Best Buy Ads, Kroger Precision Marketing, and 8451. Um, and what we're seeing today is that the definition of a retail media network has evolved quite a bit. Um, there's a lot more shopper and consumer experiences that are being monetized across the entire path to purchase. Um, the one thing that we see really underpinning successful retail media networks is retailers that are bringing their own first party data to the marketplace for brands to engage with them. They're able to offer unique audience segments to advertisers and being able to foster a one-to-one connection between a brand and the shopper through the lens of the retailer and doing so across really any digital touch point. So where we historically saw this as predominantly on-site or in a retailer's app um, in those areas that the retailer owned, we're seeing a lot more extension into outside media sources. So digital out of home is becoming more prevalent. Um, Video assets in-store and online are becoming more prevalent. Click and collect, buy online, pick up in store, sampling, really a variety of different touch points are moving into the retail media network offering. And the landscape today is, you know, what's being quoted as $100 billion 
smaller industry. Not necessarily each individual retail media network is a $100 billion business, but they're all striving to be a part of this bigger ecosystem. And that ecosystem is a lot more complex than what we saw even two years ago. Um, I think the running stat is that there's a new retail media network of some variety launching roughly every one and a half to two months. Um, So there's quite a bit of growth in the last 18 to 24 months. Specialty um, is leading the charge in this pact. So CVS and CVS Media Exchange was a retail media network that launched just a few years ago. Walgreens has also launched Walgreens Advertising Group. Department stores like Macy's and Nordstrom are getting into the mix. And these are all retailer-owned retail media networks, which we see as really one side of the landscape. Um, But there's a whole other side of the landscape that is more like e-commerce-owned retail media networks. And those are the networks that are driven by Instacart, DoorDash, Uber Eats, Drizzly, all of whom are bringing to market a different but unique relationship with a consumer in that it's entirely e-commerce enabled. Um, So all of those retail media networks are predicated on this connection between a shopper engaging digitally, which is different than working through a retailer-owned retail media network where as a brand like a Procter & Gamble, I'm able to engage with Target's Roundel and say, I'd like to drive sales of my products in your stores, in your physical footprints, as well as in your digital and e-commerce experiences. But equally as P&G, I'm needing to decide where to invest my next media dollar. And it can be very complex to understand if my return on ad spend will be best served through working through a Roundel or working through a shipped or an Instacart, um, being able to understand where those dollars will be best spent is becoming more and more complex for brands to be able to navigate. So as a shopper, could you maybe talk us through one example of maybe Target to say like, okay, these are a couple of the the touch points that you might see, you know, placement from Procter & Gamble, for example, both online and app in store just so they that listeners can understand like what the consumer experience would be on the the out the outside yeah i'll i'll pick a different example because um I will I'll make it very personal. Um, I am a mom. I have two kids that are obsessed with granola bars. Unfortunately, they're obsessed with two different brands of granola bars. So my advertising is just 100% granola bars. Uh, for this phase of my parenting journey will at some point pass, but right now I'm in the thick of it. Um, so my son is very interested in Belveda bars. It's favorite granola bar. Um, So if I am an active shopper at Target and I'm regularly buying Belveda bars every three days, what it feels like, um, what I would start to see is advertising when I'm on Instagram or Facebook to go purchase my regular Belveda bars um, at Target. And the way Target and Rondell would bring this experience to life for me is advertising through the Target-owned handle of Instagram. There would be a um, campaign that is specifically promoting Belvita bars, the different flavors. You can get blueberry or cinnamon. Clearly, I'm an aficionado. And the intent of that advertising as I'm consuming it on Instagram and Facebook is really to amplify my customer journey as I'm moving through the various pieces of it. But I'm not necessarily in store, not necessarily in a place where I'm actively making shopping decisions because what we're seeing and what retailers are certainly learning into is this concept of 
the customer journey collapsing. So because everything is so digitally enabled, I can make decisions on when I want to put those granola bars in my target cart for pickup in two hours because I'm running errands this evening. Um, and maybe I need them today because I'm packing lunches tonight. Um, but tomorrow, if I receive that advertising, it's perhaps more of an awareness play because I just bought the granola bars. So being able to receive that advertising in moments where I'm just going about my day and accessing um, my regular internet consumption behavior is what makes it really powerful. And what really drives that value exchange between the brand and Target as they're bringing that campaign to life is the fact that Target knows who I am. Um, I'm a Circle member. I am active on the app. Um, I do drive up. I do all of those things that allow them to track my behaviors and know what brands I like to buy, what brands I might have affinity to purchasing that I haven't purchased before. And all of that rich data is something that allows them to monetize a really compelling experience and in reaching me specifically. Got it. And is it primarily as a consumer experienced through a lot of those social touches or is it continued also in these other owned channels and experiences? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, it, it is definitely continued. So retailers have, like I mentioned earlier, historically started with all of their owned assets being monetized. So as I'm seeing that granola bar, um, I'm clicking through to the site. I am landing on a brand page or a product detail page that is driving me to even more behaviors, ideally clicking and then purchasing and converting right off of that chain. But if not, I'm moving into the target ecosystem. I'm seeing more advertising on their site. Um, I'm there first and foremost to, you know, buy those granola bars. But what I'm doing once I'm there is continuing my shopping journey. And that's important for Target because what they're trying to do, of course, is create this more meaningful um, basket building relationship with me so that I can drive more sales in their store and online. And then on the other side of things, so what are the what's the value for a retail media network from a retailer's perspective? So really for a retailer in standing up an RMN and building that out, their value is it's a great way for them to drive uh, incremental revenue for them at a relatively low cost. So being able to stand up that retail media network and that advertising business gives that retailer like an additional revenue generation uh, point. And they don't necessarily have to rely on product sales. While the brand's end goals and obviously the retailer's end goals in the end is to push those product sales via a retail media network as well, doing a retail media network itself uh, is a great way to drive the incremental revenue from an advertising perspective. Another key value in standing up an RMN uh, for a retailer specifically is it deepens relationships with their brands. So they're able to understand what are the KPIs for each specific brand that they carry in stores and how can they help their brands convert on those KPIs, grow those KPIs, and inadvertently also help drive their own business forward. So it's a great way, again, from an incremental uh, revenue standpoint for retailers, but also a way for them to get to know their brands even better and partner on effective advertising together. Can I maybe summarize a takeaway from the last couple of, of questions is, did this all come about because say you have a target or you have these big retailers and they're just sitting on this huge 
stack of this first party data that they have about what all these shoppers are consuming and their daily habits and activities. And they're just like, how can we monetize all of this data in a way that currently is not being used today? And like, how can we pump advertising revenue out of that? So yes, it is a way for retailers to monetize their first party data. But another key benefit for them and their brands also was is to be able to provide closed loop sales reporting. So while at monetizing first party audiences and obviously retailers knowing their audiences the best as well, doing closed loop sales reporting has also been a huge benefit and a main reason why retail and media networks have been a key or starting to be and continue to be, I should say, a key player in digital advertising, being able to do uh, that closed loop sales reporting um, for their brands. Got it. And in terms of so we just went over, you know, the benefit of from the retailer's perspective, but as a, a vendor or an advertising partner, what exactly is the clear benefit for them? Is it really taking advantage of those first party lists that the retailer has accessible? Is it generally revenue growth or what's the, the biggest driver? So definitely for endemic partners to retailers. And when I say endemic, that would be uh, a partner or a brand that a retailer carries in store mm -hmm. um, or online. Tapping in that first party audience data is huge. Uh, a lot of retailers keep that first party audience data very close to their chest. So the only way for a brand to get access to that retailer data is to run an advertising campaign with the retailer through their retail media network. It's not an audience that a retailer could like say buy programmatically mm -hmm. online. It's also a unique way for brands and a benefit for them to really lean in to retailers and generate new uh, a new buzz around or new awareness around new product launches, um, being able to also sell more product in certain retailers that are key partners for them. Um, so a great way to tap those audiences and, and drive those uh, sales through. And then again, that closed loop reporting and attribution is also huge for endemic partners. So being able to specifically see the sales um, that their ads drove, um, either from an influence sales perspective or an incremental sales perspective from their advertising, um, that is huge, a huge benefit. Great for brands and endemic partners to understand what is and what isn't working and of that spend on their advertising, how much sales revenue product units they were able to sell at that retailer. And this is deducing from what you've explained so far, but would it be fair to say that before retail media networks existed, say that I'm selling granola bars as a, a brand through Target, and I spent a certain amount of money advertising just general generally on Instagram or whatever, not necessarily, again, through a partnership with a brand or a retail media network, I might get reporting back from Target of, hey, you sold X number of granola bars, but I have no idea around like how many of those sales from someone came from someone who had interacted with that ad. Is that what you're basically saying that you're able to today split that out in a way that was not possible before. Yeah, Gaia, that's 100% correct. So that being able for those brands or enabling those brands um, 
when they're doing advertising through the retailer's media network, they're able to see that specific data of here's the, that sales that can be directly attributed to your advertising with that said retailer. Got it. Okay. So I know we just talked a bit around endemic partnerships. Could you do a quick uh, definition of what a non-endemic partnership is and kind of what that would look like, or if that's even relevant to, to retail media networks? So yeah, Jeff outlined what an endemic partnership looks like for a retail media network. Non-endemic is pretty much anyone else. Um, So there's a lot of different examples of this that we see in the marketplace, um, but a few that come to mind that I like to think about to paint the story of why non-endemic plus retail media is um, an important inflection point is finding the really interesting and natural intersection of a retailer's first-party database and what their audience of shoppers look and act like um, and where that fits naturally with a non-endemic brand. So GMC Trucks, for example, would be a great partner with um, Home Depot's Retail Media Plus. Home Depot has a retail media network that is really focused on the DIY consumer as well as pros. Um, All of the people that are involved um, in shopping at Home Depot um, have an affinity towards buying larger trucks because a lot of them are contractors. Mm -hmm. And so for GMC to be able to reach that highly valuable audience and knowing when people are in market for a new truck and are looking to upgrade um, as a part of their business contracting, that's something that could be really valuable for GMC and that partnership to understand and say, your audience, Home Depot, is uniquely valuable to me as GMC because I need to understand when your shoppers are in market. And I know that my GMC truck buyers are high indexing as retail media or as Home Depot shoppers. That inflection point becomes really powerful when we think about non-endemic. I think what's really spurred non-endemic to become important for retail media networks to invest in is the cookie deprecation. Now, cookie deprecation has pushed out um, yet again. So at some point in the indeterminate future, Google will be getting rid of cookies and all of us in the media agency and, and buying worlds will need to have a solution for budgets that were previously allocated to third-party BT or contextual advertising. They now need a new place to to live. And so we are seeing non-endemics start to lean into innovation testing with retail media networks to understand the value of the data that retail media networks are offering against so that those agency buyers and those um, non-endemic brands can start building out what a future-proofed roadmap can look like for their budgetary investments. That makes a lot of sense. It definitely sounds like RMNs have you know a ton of potential to be either really, really beneficial um, to, to both both or all parties involved. It, d- it definitely seems like, you know, depending on how the, the experience is implemented, it, it could be differing effects across different channels. So I'm wondering how do you balance, you know, different priorities or do we have any kind of like implementation or reporting best practices that brands would want to follow? I would say so from kind of the, what I would want to say, the biggest, I don't know if I want to call it complaints, but I'm, I'm going to use that for lack of a better term, <laughs> the biggest comparisons um, that we get on the new stream side um, when working with our retail partners is a lot of, actually kind of to go a little bit in a different direction, a, a lot of brands will at least initially see RMN as 
or retail media network as a shopper marketing tactic. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're just like, oh, this is just another shopper marketing tactic that retailers are trying to get some more shopper dollars from us. Mm -hmm. So that's the probably the biggest, well, I don't want to say the biggest hurdle, but one of the one of the major objections that we hear on Newstream. But really, you know, shopper marketing typically aligns with retailer objectives and versus where on the retail media network side, it is much more of a collaborative partnership with the brand. So it's much more aligned to the brand's objectives and what are those brands trying to achieve versus just being another traditional or fancy shopper marketing tactic that might be more aligned to a retailer specific KPI. So when we think about implementation with retail media networks, that's just a key thing for retailers to keep in mind that this is a way for you to grow those relationships with your brands and invest in those brands at your at your retail uh, or at your retail stores or your retail chains. So it's a great way for retailers to flip that script and provide that value specifically with their brands. Yeah. To maybe make that example more tangible and make sure I'm understanding it correctly. So say you've got Walmart's retail media network and I sell Perrier, right? And mm-hmm. Walmart is maybe giving us a goal of like, hey, you need to sell, I don't know, X amount of inventory this quarter to like keep the shelf space or whatever, right? Whatever the agreement is. And maybe they're like pushing me as a seller to be more involved via the retail media networks to take advantage of the targeting using Walmart's data. Are you saying Mm -hmm. that a lot of the perspective of advertisers is hey, this is something that these retailers are kind of pushing on us just to kind of hit those hit those targets that Walmart has set for us. It's just like another sales tactic. Is that the main complaint that you're referencing? <clears throat> Specifically, not so much. That's the per, sometimes a perception mm. that brands will have um, is that they'll see that because traditionally shopper marketing has kind of been that way and a little bit of that relationship. So they'll see the retail media network side being built out and they'll think, oh, this is just another way for a brand to force me or strong arm me into spending more money with with them. And that's not necessarily the case when a retail media network is executed in a best-in-class way. So it's much more of a partnership with for brands to open that access to their to their first party audiences, open that access to their closed loop uh, reporting attribution and allow brands to have a you know major seat at the table, mm-hmm. if you will, if you want to think about it that way, and allow them to dictate what are their goals with that retailer and what are they what are they trying to achieve. Obviously, everybody wants to sell more product, uh, but a lot of times brands have additional goals that they want to achieve. Maybe it's generating more market share at their retailer. Maybe it is bringing a new product to launch exclusively at a certain retailer. And they're trying to leverage and build that awareness of the retailer. And retail media networks are a great driver and a great way for brands to really lean in. I love what you said there about brands having a seat at the table. I think that's a really big 
inflection point for how retail media networks are growing their businesses. And ultimately what we're seeing from retailers is, you know, this shift to acting and and thinking and building a business that is more like a digital publisher and less like a retailer. And when you act like a digital publisher, which I think is really relevant in this space right now, because we're seeing retail media networks start to publicly report their revenue numbers. Walmart Connect last year was right around $2 billion for their top line revenue, which is roughly the same size as a Pinterest. And so when Pinterest goes to speak to brands about why you should invest in um, media buys with their platform, Walmart Connect is at the same size of that and needs to engage with the brands in a similar fashion, which is really starting to shift the narrative for a retailer in the retail media network ecosystem to work with a brand as the brand being a customer. So really starting to shift that narrative where you're operating in a B2B world where the business to business is retail media network to brand. um, And you want to make your brand and your customer and that brand happy. And the way you do that is by building ad solutions that are meeting their needs by crafting campaign strategies that meet their unique marketing objectives rather than, which is the traditional shopper marketing avenue, asking them to invest in your own tentpole events and your own marketing objectives. Mm -hmm. There's a clear delineation between what we see as shopper marketing and what we see as advanced retail media. Um, And those retailers that are leading into advanced retail media networks are shifting that narrative to say, I am acting like a digital publisher um, and I'm meeting the needs of my customers in that regard. And those customers are brands and advertisers. Makes a lot of sense. Yep. So as we continue here, a lot of buzz around retail media networks what do we see the future of this area being, say, over the next five to 10 years? I imagine there's going to be huge growth for the channel um, and probably a lot of budgets shifting from other channels into the retail media network. So just breaking out our crystal balls here, what do we see the future looking like? Yeah, I love that crystal ball. Um, I think everybody has a crystal ball right now around retail media and the all of the crystal balls are saying the same thing. The growth is going to be exponential. Um, We've seen just an intense and massive amount of growth over the last 24 months. um, And that is, you know, certainly slowing down because as we think about um, year over year change, like that has to happen. But the um, dollars that the industry is going to represent continues to grow and become massive. So what we had originally heard from eMarketer, I think back in March, was that it was a $50 billion media opportunity that has been right-sized upwards to be a $60 billion media opportunity. And really it's grounded in this concept of retailers offering their first party data. We're seeing that retail media is the fastest growing segment out of all of digital advertising. Um, It's going to account for 25% of digital ad spend by the time we get to 2026. And it's growing at a rate that is faster than most all other U.S. ad channels. Um, The only exception to that is connected TV. So what I think is really interesting about retail media is that it is the only digital ad spend segment where the growth year over year that we're projecting is driven predominantly by the expansion of ad inventory formats and increases in cost. So what that means is that the retail media network offerings continue to expand, continue to encompass new areas of media, both in-store, digitally and online, things that are addressable, things that are more awareness-based. And all of that expansion in ad formats um, and costs is what's 
driving the growth going forward. And that's all truly underpinned by this access to first party data, the ability to close loop and the ability to drive sales and performance um, in a way that is stronger than, than other competitors. As we wrap up this episode, what are the main takeaways that you want our listeners to kind of walk away thinking about? One of the main takeaways um, that we definitely want listeners to walk away from is, um, you know, retail media is not just another shopper marketing tactic. Um, It can be a great way for brands to build their business at those retailers and to, to use kind of what I said before, but have that seat at the table. That is so important to brands and retailers to come to that partnership. And it's a great way for retailers to expand, even when we think, obviously, the obvious one is endemic partners and vendors. Um, but it's a great way when we start thinking outside of the box, how can retailers expand these relationships, not only with endemics, but with non-endemics and seeing that opportunity grow in that movement with non-endemic partners um, become more and more of a big play within retail media. Um, that's a huge key driver of growth as well. And another exciting opportunity for both brands and retailers alike. Megan, I think you might have a couple other things to add as well. Yeah, um, I would. I would definitely agree. It's it's very clear to all of us here that um, you know the depth and fidelity of a retailer's first party data is what's driving this industry forward. Um, the landscape is changing every day. Um, I think I had mentioned earlier that there's new retail media networks launching roughly every other month, and that's persisting even as we're heading into Q4. The pace of innovation is incredibly exciting. One of the takeaways that we had in our research, which actually just published today, so please download it if you get a chance, is that the definition of retail media networks is expanding quite a bit. So the concept of retail media networks, you know, just being what's on site, just being sponsored search, um, or just being display ads that you can see elsewhere on the internet is, you know, history. Um, There is a lot of in-store capabilities. Um, There's quite a bit of, you know, physical out of home that is coming into the marketplace. And I think the way retailers are expanding and thinking about their media ecosystem in like a personalization first way and a truly addressable format is incredibly exciting, both from a retailer standpoint of being able to deepen that connection with your shopper. And then for brands, as you're looking at ways to diversify the mix of media that you have in your budgets and keep a really keen eye towards performance. Um, Retail media networks are going to bring that to the table for you. And as you're moving forward and we're thinking about roadmaps for 2023 and beyond, they will be increasingly more diverse in the media channels and formats that they will be able to offer. Megan, Jeff, as we're wrapping this episode up, thank you so, so much for everything you shared with us today. I feel like I've learned a ton about retail media networks. I'm sure Guy can say the same, and I hope our audience uh, feels like they have as well. But truly, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having us. It's been yeah, fun. Thank you. I'm off to go buy some granola bars now. <laughs> I think we all are. <laughs> Might have made you a little hungry there. <laughs> yeah. Meg- Megan's our resident influencer. <laughs> This brings us to the end of this episode of Digital Marketing Musings. If you have an idea for a future episode, we would absolutely love to hear it. Just drop us a note at digitalmarketingmusings at merkelink.com. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button and of course, rate and review our show. Uh, It helps others find us and we're always appreciative when you tell a friend about our show as well.
This episode was produced by Merkel with sound and video editing by Craig Zagurski. Our team includes copywriting by Annika Schliesman, graphic design by Garrett Rubel, website support by Bella Paul and Emily Chu, and social media and promotion by Gina Astrop and Andrea Ratner. Tune in next time. And until then, I'm Andrew McCartney. And I'm Gaia Reed. Bye.